नमस्ते एवरीवन वेलकम टू द चार्बो पॉडकास्ट दिस इज योर होस्ट कुशल मेहरा ऑलराइट माय गेस्ट टुडे इज कंचन गुप्ता एंड वी आर गोइंग टू बी टॉकिंग अबाउट द पार्टीशन हॉरर्स रिमेंब्रेंस डे दादा थैंक्स फॉर कमिंग ऑन द पॉडकास्ट थैंक यू इट्स ऑलवेज अ प्लेजर टू बी विद यू कुशल thanks a lot dada i learn uh, i learn a lot every time you come on the podcast so i always look forward to chatting with you it's it's a it's a learning process every time we speak so dada let's start with this so obviously as we know uh, prime minister modi has made a very important announcement uh, and he has said you know we will now be celebrating a partition horror remembrance day and as you know as always there has been uh i don't know how to say it i, I even feel bad saying this that even a uh, it, even an act like this creates a controversy in this country now uh, so so dada why do you think uh, a day like this that the prime minister has suggested we have is very important in in context of india and its history well frankly uh, a, a, a day of remembrance uh, to remember to recall the horrors of uh, india's partition in 1947 the human suffering that was witnessed this should have happened long ago it should have happened with india's independence or at least by the time india became a republic Uh, and the first election was held in 1952 uh, but for 75 years 74 years n- nobody really thought of it nobody really thought of uh, of creating a platform to recall to remember and to honor the memory of those who perished those who suffered and those who still continue to carry the pain the suffering and the indignity of 1947 uh now the reason for this i mean maybe i am wrong when i say nobody thought of it because for all these seven and a half decades we had a national history project government funded national history project uh, which was firmly in the hands of the left and the purpose was to whitewash india's history to sanitize it to excise all uncomfortable details to to sort of to the extent of actually controverting truth for the sake of higher history now when i say higher history i mean they felt that their version of history was morally higher and it was the right and therefore the right version of history and that is how it happened so we don't have uh, you know it's, it's very strange when it comes to the the british colonial period we we are we are totally without any restraints in 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 heaping abuse in 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 sort of accusing and 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 sort of making the british 
the 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 main villains of india's recent history but the period preceding that and and that period you will see a, an entirely different role reversal where invaders are sort of treated with great respect we are supposed to uh, uh, sort of admire the fact that we were conquered and that we were subjugated we are expected to respect and honor monuments celebrating that conquest and subjugation and just because somebody has said uh, one of the eminent historians or some of the eminent historians have declared that a b c were great kings and greater rulers we are supposed to say yes sir and 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 sort of subscribe to that view i mean this sort of explains why the capital of the country till recently had a road in the heart of the city named after aurangzeb so this is this is where we are coming from and in one stroke prime minister narendra modi has sort of corrected this gross distortion of history this uh, sort of appalling attempt to sanitize the past and this this sort of structured effort to erase popular memory of all contents that are politically inconvenient for those who who have also subverted the very idea of secularism in india now dada i find this actually i don't know what word i should be using i always find this baffling that you know i and these are the same folks that maybe they'll go outside india and they'll go to the holocaust memorial and rightfully so the holocaust has a memorial those those horrific incidents should never be forgotten and we need to remember those incidents and these memorials and these kinds of acts and symbols actually go in a long way in reminding us of what has happened in our past our history and what lessons can we learn from it but as you said rightfully so there is this commentary art in india where they almost uh, have become past masters in the fine art of negationism where via the art of negationism they want to deny even basic things in our life and 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 we don't even i mean it's like the average person in india is now supposed to forget that we literally lost a significant chunk of our country in 1947 and what ensued after that was a horror show where countless lives were destroyed and people were killed and we're just supposed to forget that and people were mocking the prime minister and people who think this day matters as if oh what a stupid and silly thing to do who wants to remember trauma i mean what do you do about this dada what do we tell these people in the most polite and civilized way possible well the, the uh, pardon me but the most polite way would be to show your middle finger to them but <laughs> but you but you also need to argue your case to to sort if not for anything else but to sort of 
show the world that they, they are being stupid. Uh, you know, one of the people, uh, one of the prominent voices which uh, who, uh, that have come up in criticism of the Prime Minister's declaration that August 14th uh, will be observed every year as partica Partition Horrors uh, Remembrance Day is that of Shashi Tharoor. Now, Shashi Tharoor says, oh, I mean, you know, the same point which you were making, uh, this is reopening uh, the past and it will create, uh, it will keep alive the, 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 the sort of animus, animosity, the hate, etc., etc. Now, we have the same Shashi Tharoor who some years ago had tweeted a photograph of his at the Berlin uh, Memorial to Holocaust victims with a very syrupy, maudlin tweet on how we must remember the past. And those who forget the past are committed to, to repeating the same horrors. Now, you have mentioned the uh, Holocaust Memorial. Uh, there are quite a few of them around the world. The most prominent is Yad Vashem in Jerusalem. And uh, if you visit Yad Vashem, what strikes you about the place that there is nothing theatrical about it. There's nothing dramatic about it. Even the architecture is—is uh, uh, is, it's so—it's so stark, and that starkness tells the story of what happened. And the the that part of the museum where you have displays—it's uh, interesting. But the most, for me, the most impressive parts of the museum were A, the huge hall where tens of thousands of files are kept. And what they have done is they have actually documented the story of each individual, each family, killed during the Holocaust. So the last time uh, I visited, I was told that there were close to almost 4 million or 4.5 million document, uh, uh, docu I mean, cases that had been documented. And they were confident of completing the full list. So they were still wading through documents, through papers still trying to trace back. The second part of the Holocaust Memorial is the Hall of Silence. I mean, you know, it's, it's just a dark hall. And you have a candle for each child who died in the Holocaust. So there is, there is no attempt to tell a story beyond 
the need to tell it. So if you go to Auschwitz, the, the preservation of the railway tracks tells its own story. So one, one doesn't need, I mean, we are not talking of a Bollywood style of remembrance. We are talking of a dignified remembrance. And if, take, take my example, my father came as a refugee, a Bengali Hindu refugee from East Pakistan. He was, I think, all of 12 or 13 years old. And he came with his widowed mother and siblings with practically nothing other than the clothes they were wearing. And they, it's, they, they had a comfortable life. They had a comfortable life till then. Although my grandfather had died quite young, the, my, my, my father, my grandmother, his brothers and sisters, sister, they were well looked after. And partition happens, they come to India as refugees. And their settled lives just fall apart. And all I'm, all I'm, I'm asking for is that we must not forget such stories. And his story is not unique. Millions of people were rendered penniless. They were, they were dehumanized. They were stripped of dignity of honor, they were left to fend for themselves. People came from West Pakistan, people came from East Pakistan. And I, and I say this with some amount of regret, the incidents of West Pakistan, the uh, incidents of uh, refugees coming in from West Pakistan, the horrors they suffered, unimaginable horror, entire trains of uh, trains carrying refugees, uh, all refugees, uh, trains would be stopped somewhere between uh, West Pakistan and India and to the last person, refugees were, would be massacred. And the trains would arrive in India carrying dead bodies and maybe a few uh, survivors. Women were raped. Little girls were abducted. I read somewhere a very sad story, but a very real story of, of a woman recollecting that her husband died in the riots. And she left for foot. Um, uh, she left for India on foot with her four children, two boys and two girls. And the, and the girls were little babies. The boys were toddlers or whatever. 
and after a point they couldn't walk so she left the boys under a tree carried her two daughters and began walking towards india so these are the human tragedies these are these are the human stories that need to be told again and again forgetting them uh, is not the answer nobody is saying that every time you hear the story you you sort of work yourself into a lather and 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 get angry but if you forget this story these stories if you forget the horrors of partition then what you are doing is you are not only whitewashing and obliterating gross crimes against humanity that were committed but you are also setting the stage for a repetition of such crimes because those who would then perpetrate similar crimes would sort of think that whatever we do today 30 40 50 70 years later all of these crimes will be whitewashed and that is why the holocaust memorial is important it was set up as a reminder it was set up to tell the world that if you forget then this is bound to happen again but then dada what does it say about the mindset of these people who are obsessed about forgetting it why do they do it is it some sort of a stockholm syndrome or like what what exactly is it why why or is it just pure politics and they know where their bread is buttered or what is it about what kind of a mindset is this then well kushal uh, there are there are several aspects to it one is look at the geography of india only a particular stretch in the west mainly punjab and a particular stretch in the east mainly bengal were actually impacted by partition so refugees came in from west punjab into east punjab and refugees came in from east bengal into west bengal these these tragedies these human stories had no bearing on the lives of people in central india in southern india in northern india when i say northern india i i mean excluding you know what what is today punjab haryana delhi similarly northeast was impacted to an extent because many refugees went there but beyond not the northeast and west bengal no other part of east india was impacted 
So that is one of the reasons why there was no immediate sensitivity. Second, as we discussed, when you when you sort of rewrite history, when you sanitize history, popular memory does not last for long. And in any case, we Indians have a very poor sense of history. Three, once we were into the 50s and 60s, an entirely different set of problems took over popular concern and government's concern. Whether it was food shortage, whether it was hunger, whether it was disease, there was uh, the China war, etc., etc., etc. So those things consumed popular interest. And there was never any solution. Now, again, I come back to to the differences between what happened in the West and what happened in the East. Refugees who came from West Pakistan, they were settled in colonies. New, brand new Delhi was at that time expanding. It was being built. Uh, so they were given, I mean, entirely new colonies came up. Uh, many of them settled down in Punjab, some moved on. Uh, the Sindhis who came, they were traders, businessmen who, who moved on to Bombay, to, to other parts of the country. But in the East, it was a festering wound. In the West, it was a, it was, it was a tragedy that happened in 1947 and lingered on till about, at best, 1948. But in the East, it was, it was a festering wound. And refugees did not come only during or after partition. If you, if you read up the history of those times, you had the Dhaka riots of 1941, which resulted in a large number of Hindu Bengalis relocating to West Bengal, to Tripura, to what was then Assam. Uh, so they settled down in parts of uh, Meghalaya, in Shillong, namely. Then in 1946, you have the Direct Action Day riots. Jinnah calls for direct action, and, 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 and terrible bloodletting happens in Calcutta. 16th August. 1946. Then partition happens. And after partition, and in between direct action day and partition, you have the Noakhali riots. So what do we commemorate? We commemorate, uh, you know, Gandhi walking alone to Noakhali. And, and 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 we we sort of link that visit with Tagore's song 
যদি তোর ডাক শুনে কেউ না আসে তো একলা চলবে বাট হোয়াট হ্যাপেন এট নোয়াখালি ইট ওয়াজ আ্যাসাকার ইট ওয়াজ আনরিস্ট্রেন্ড ম্যাসাকার অফ হিন্দুস and gandhi goes there and he tries to tell the hindus uh, that you should basically that you should face death very bravely as that will be your ultimate test of ahimsa the hindus ironically don't get angry with gandhi it's it's the muslim league which finds gandhi very offensive gandhi's presence over there very offensive and the and the same gandhi who had declared that he would stay put in noakhali till the violence stopped he was virtually chased out and i use my words very carefully i don't i don't care whether it hurts sentiments because yes this is contrary to what we have been told but the same gandhi was chased out literally chased out uh from uh, noakhali and to and to cover up the fact that he had to that he was forced out of noakhali he made this grand statement that he would now go to bihar to protest against some rioting which had happened over there gandhi comes back to delhi and there is a huge flow of letters telegrams all addressed to gandhi urging him to help stop the violence the killings in noakhali and gandhi's response is well the hindus can either uh, die or leave so they have only two options so are we expected to forget that must we not, must we not remember that this was actually you know we talk of the two nation theory this was the two option theory hindus were slammed with at that point of time they could either die or leave there was no third option so you you 47 happens then 1950 riots happen then 1964 riots happen and every time because not all hindus had come across to west bengal or not all hindus had left east pakistan many had businesses many had large families many had uh, farmland so they they did not want to up and leave they had sent some some part uh, some members of their families across they had stayed back hoping that things would calm down and life would get back to normal but that never happened people forget that one of the ministers in jinnah's government was a yes. bengali hindu he was a he was a scheduled caste a uh, member of a scheduled caste community from east bengal and he very bravely sided with uh, jinnah and joined his government uh, 
and then he had to flee east pakistan and take shelter in west bengal so, so dada actually uh, i had one more question uh, if you could uh, add to this also because we are on east pakistan so do you think in the case of east pakistan and west pakistan now i'm someone uh, you know who is from my ethnicity is from punjab so i do get it but in the case of uh, bengal and that side of uh, the border do you think this this genocide not only uh, continues till 64 but goes right on to the foundation on formation of bangladesh with the riots and the absolute massacres that happened during that period also is is that a continuation of our uh, you know horrifying past yeah of course it is i mean i just i just mentioned to you a sequence of events that that caused the uh, refugee influx um you i mean it doesn't stop with the 1964 riots in 1971 we say that 3 million bengalis died now if you go if you go through the trial documents and they are available online of the war crimes trials which sheikh hasina's government instituted many of the razakars were subsequently sentenced to death and actually executed so if you go through the war crimes trials documents you will find the kind of horror that was inflicted upon bengali hindus in east pakistan even in 1971 so the vast majority of bengalis who were killed people say 3 million were not killed 2 million were killed so even if you go by what they claim what the deniers claim the vast majority of them would be bengali hindus so this this has kept on happening and in a sense it still continues only recently bengali homes and bengali temple uh, bengali homes uh, bengali hindu homes and bengali hindu temples in bangladesh were targeted so earlier you had the muslim league then you had the jamaat-e-islami then you have now the hifazatul islam uh, so it just keeps on evolving and it i mean i mean the definition changes but the crimes remain the same so now dada i want to ask you this question uh, and it's very important now a lot of times in uh, discussions over the partition uh, or uh, uh, anything that is peripheral to this hist- you know is to this issue a lot of times people talk about uh, 
truth and reconciliation and one of the ways of dealing with this is i think our intelligentsia has always been obsessed with uh, aman ki aasha kind of things you know aman ki aasha hamesha hota rehta hai wahan se kawal aate hain yahan se koi jata hai ek jagah mein delhi mein ya lahore mein ya karachi mein they'll sit together and they'll sing songs and 15 people are clapping and saying wah wah ji wah wah bahut ho gaya so what what do we do with this whole truth and reconciliation logic you know i i personally do not buy into this truth and reconciliation uh, uh thing i mean uh, it is it is a very it's it's a western liberal construct that uh, you know this whole idea of forgive your enemy uh you must you must condemn the sin but not the sinner you must you must not punish because a sin or a mistake was committed without realizing that a sin or a mistake is being committed this was revisionism of the biblical doctrine which laid down an eye for an eye a tooth for a tooth so they thought the the liberal intelligentsia of the west thought that they were moving away from that biblical doctrine by coming up with this grand idea of truth and reconciliation now it may or may not work in societies where which are which are about individuals but in civilizations where individuals are merely members of families and families are units of communities and communities are part of clans and clans are part of regional identities and regional identities become a part of the national identity to talk of truth and reconciliation to my mind is absurd truth yes but reconciliation with what please look up the meaning of the word reconciliation in the oxford english dictionary so i will give you one more example bengali hindu refugees who came in from east pakistan they had no food they had no clothes they had no place to stay so the obvious place they would seek shelter are railway stations so you the the photos that survive of that terrible period are of sialda station platforms crawling with refugees so they had to be given a place to stay so mr jawahar lal nehru 
credited with so many great things, real and unreal. He came up with this grand plan. And that plan had two components. One was the refugees were labeled a permanent liability. And the second part was that they were put up or they were to be put up <coughs> in tented camps. Sordid, squalid, overcrowded, lacking in, lacking in basic hygiene. People didn't have a place to relieve themselves. There was no water supply. Forget electricity. And most of these camps were put up in marshlands or wetlands or lowlands. So many of the refugees who did not die at the hands of marauding Muslim League crowds, uh, Muslim, Muslim League uh, mobs, they died of malaria. Now, these camps were called permanent liability camps, PLC. And each camp was numbered one, two, three, four, five, six, and it went on. So, if you were asked, where do you stay? I mean, you, if you had gone for your ration or for help or food, and you were asked, where do you stay? You said, I, I, I am in PLC 20. And the only thing, the only document which mattered was a piece of paper, which was the refugee certificate. So you gave an affidavit that I so-and-so, I have come from so-and-so place. And I seek refuge in India. And your name, your father's name, <coughs> your children's names, they were documented. So it, it was scarily similar to what was happening in Germany. Now look at it this way, Kushal. My father was branded a permanent liability. My father started working very young. So did his brothers. They never lived on government support or government charity. My father worked all his life. He died three months ago. And I have worked all my life. I have not lived on 
government charity or government uh, support or government assistance. In fact, I never had a ration card. We never had ration cards. All my life, I have paid taxes and I'm still paying taxes. All his life, my father paid taxes. He even paid taxes on his savings. But when you look around, you'll find Nehru's descendants. Beginning with his daughter, his grandsons, his grandson's children, their children. What do they live on? Who funds them? Who feeds them? The entire Nehru clan lives on public funds. So who is the permanent liability? And this is why remembrance is important. And not only remembrance, there should also have been reparation. Reparation for the sufferings, for the deaths, for the loss, for the psychological scarring that happened, and reparation for being labeled, unjustly labeled, permanent liability or permanent liabilities. How, how, how dare the government of the day led by Nehru label us such? Why is it that India is not talking about it? We have a right to know. And that is why I, I am personally grateful to Prime Minister Narendra Modi for designating August 14 as Partition Horrors Remembrance Day. So at least those of us who remember who still carry the burden of pain, of suffering, who have seen our parents suffering silently, the loss of identity, the degradation, the dehumanization, the pauperization of an entire people. On this day, we can again and again tell the people of India, look, this happened. Don't forget that this happened. And you must remember that this happened so that it doesn't happen again. So that Hindus are not reduced to refugees in such a cruel and unbecoming manner. So, so... Uh, somebody in the live viewership has also asked this question. Other than in, in retrospective, so could they have ever been an alternative to partition? I mean, do you think then in hindsight now, 75 years down the line, uh, with the kind of horrors that we face, so 
So was was partition inevitable or not? Uh, I mean, the kind of price, especially the Hindu population, has paid in in these circumstances. No, partition was never inevitable. The nature of partition may have been may have been different had it happened before forty seven or had it happened after forty seven. But partition was always there in the sense that I mean the demand for a separate Muslim homeland within the geography of the Indian subcontinent was always there. It, it predates the Lahore Resolution, whether we like it or not. It is immaterial how many supported, how many didn't support, because somebody will say, oh, my great-grandfather never supported Pakistan. Big deal, but Pakistan happened. So that is one part of it. So it was, partition is a reality that must be accepted. Two, at a at a at a personal level, I I have I have absolutely no uh, sense of loss about partition. Kushal, if just look at it this way, if paths that went out of India in the West. If those paths had been in India today, whatever is happening there today would have been happening within India. And it wouldn't have remained confined to the, to the geography that constitutes Pakistan. It would have spread across the country. Would you want to live in a country like that? Oh, hell are no. We, are we or are we not better off? Number, that's Absolutely. the second point. <clears throat> and the third point is history has its own momentum. Things happen and we have often no control over them. In my, in my home, my father never talked about partition. He never talked about uh, his sufferings, his sorrows. Never. I mean, he, he sort of, he knew that it could not be undone. So much so that we did not even speak in our East Bengali direct at home. That was the actual loss of identity. That was the loss of being what you were till you had to leave your own home, your own hearth. 
and and that is the loss really which still stays on and that is the loss which still haunts many of us so that is the truth are we reconciled to that truth we accept the truth but to reconcile would mean what in delhi you know if somebody comes and hits your car although you were driving as per traffic rules and this guy was trying to jump red lights or whatever he comes and hits your car and you get out and he also gets out and you tell him but you, i mean how dare you hit my car so somebody will step up and say are bhai adjust kar lo why should i adjust why should i accommodate you have no right having stripped me of my dignity having humiliated me having denigrated me dehumanized me pauperized me you have no right to ask me to reconcile myself with all that i have suffered worse you have no right to tell me to reconcile with my tormentor no sorry it doesn't happen that way not for me so dada uh, uh, i still have a couple of questions what more let's say can the state do to not only remind people of uh, the horrors of partition but also at the level of policy what can the state do to ensure that we don't face such a horror again in our life we we, we saw we saw that happen in <laughs> after narendra modi became prime minister the abrogation of article 370 mm-hmm. and the full and final integration of jammu and kashmir with the union of india mm-hmm. <coughs> we have to when we, when i say we the state has to instill a sense of pride a sense of belonging in every indian more so those indians who 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 are, who are still to sort of see affluence in their lives so there has to be a sense of you have to in, inculcate a sense of belonging a sense of identity a sense of pride and all these together would be a sense of nationhood and that is where nation nationhood nationalism become important so when 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 the prime minister talks of ek bharat shreshth bharat this is what he means that till such time all bharatiyas 
are uplifted till such time the state is able to pump hope into them, aspiration into them. Bharat as a nation, as a country will never rise. And today in his Independence Day speech, he sort of formalizes it when he says, when he calls for popular participation, people's participation. So these are the ways in which you try and contain uh, any urge to break free of the Union of India, the Azadi gang, and these are not the, the words are not mine. Uh, Arundhati Roy calls them the Azadi gang. The Azadi gang is just that, a gang. They have nothing positive to contribute, neither to their own lives or to or to people's lives or to India's future. So, Dada, uh, um, now I, I want to say something over here. I know you will not, but I think uh, I have this. I have noticed this trend a lot of times in discussions when it comes to even horrors of partition in India. You know, the popular narrative in India, uh, and maybe you'll disagree, but I don't know. I've always had this feeling. The popular narrative in India when it comes to partition is kind of centered around Punjab. Now, I'm I'm a Punjabi myself, and I'm not trying to reduce the pain and horror of everybody in Punjab that has, uh, you know, faced what has happened. But the Sindhis also faced, I mean, in the case of Sindhi Hindus, they but when it comes to Sindhis and Bengalis, when it comes to the popular imagination of India, why has that? Because they also face the horrors of partition. And, and, and you can say, Kushal, you are wrong, you are thinking like this. But I don't know, I always feel like as if Sri Punjab ke logon ko partition face karni padi, Sindhi aur Bengali logon ko face karni padi. Am I wrong in feeling that? No, no, you are not wrong. You see, uh, the partition of Punjab or, or the Western, uh, the partition on the Western Front. Those events were very close to Delhi. So there were refugees actually pouring into Delhi. If you look at photographs of that time, Purana Kila was crammed with refugees. Refugee camps had come up all over the place. Uh, so the government had to take note of that reality. It couldn't actually pretend all this was not happening. Now, you mentioned Sindhis. I think many Sindhis started moving out of Sindh or thereabouts 
before partition, they, they, they could read the writing on the wall. And uh, they, they went and settled because it was Karachi was the port, Bombay was the other port. You will find them in Bombay, you will find them uh, in other places. But uh, whatever was happening in the East was at a distance from Delhi. And the government was so stupefied by the horrors, by the by the by the monumental collapse of any control which the authorities of the day may have had and 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 the resultant violence that they they just shut their minds nehru and his friends they shut their minds to what was happening in the East. There are records to show that Nehru was actually frantically trying to stop people from coming in from East Pakistan into West Bengal. He didn't want them in. In fact, we Bengali Hindu refugees were not really wanted in India. I, I know this sounds strange, but that's the fact. The Bengalis of Calcutta, they didn't want us around. We were dragging the city down. We were swamping. There was poverty swamping the empire's second city. The authorities didn't want us around. I mean, if you understand a bit of Bangla, we were we were laughed at, we were mocked as Bangals. And many were shunted off. You know, the famous deportation straight from Bengal to Dandakaranya of refugees who came in from East Pakistan. Now imagine a Bengali who has lived all his life in a certain milieu, in a certain geography, in a certain culture, to be shipped out bag and baggage to Dandakaranya, where he and, and and it was it was like barren land. There was no there was no livelihood. There was there was nothing that he could do to sustain his life in a meaningful manner. And that Bengali refugee then, because the CPM makes a promise that when we come to power, we will settle you back in West Bengal. 
<coughs> those Bengali refugees, poor sods, they 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 come back to West Bengal, and all they want is to set up their own little corner on an island in the Sundarbans. That island is called Marichapi. Or Morijjhapi. They do that. They travel all the way back and take shelter and, and sort of they, they set up small hutments on the island. Very happy, very secure that, you know, the CPIM is not going to disturb us. We have now at least found a corner for ourselves in Bengal. What happened? Jyoti Basu sent in his police, armed police. And Marijapi massacre happened. Women and children, they jumped into the estuaries filled with crocodiles. People were shot even while they were trying to run and escape. The waters, the salt waters, they turned red. Trucks were sent in and people were forcibly evicted and again sent back. And I am expected to forget Morijjhapi ever happened. That the massacre did not happen. That those Bengali Hindu refugees did not die such a terrible death. Is that what truth and reconciliation is all about? Is remembering that violation of basic human dignity, of denial of basic human rights, is that so distressing to people who are saying that why have a Remembrance Day? I'm sorry, I will not forget and I will not let you forget that these are the crimes that were visited upon and these crimes cannot be erased from the pages of India's recent history. So, Dada, one last question before we uh, wrap today's discussion up. Now, and, and this is kind of my... Uh, request to you to give uh, a last message because uh, at least 50 to 60 percent of the listeners, viewers of this podcast are young kids, <laughs> kids who are in the age of you know 18 to let's say 35. They have not experienced these things, they have not seen what, what kind of a toll it takes. So, and especially in, in a country like India, we have different languages, we have uh, we have different cuisines. We, we are a very diverse country. In, in such a country, and take it taking into account uh, the 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 back back backdrop of a partition, which was whether we want to admit it or not, was on the basis of religion. 
So what what would be your last message to these young kids who who would you know look up to you maybe someday and come to you and you know they want to see okay how do we deal with this because we did not go through it or maybe we are busy in our day to day life so so what would your message be today to those young kids as we wrap this discussion up no i i am not very good at giving messages because i am not a <laughs> i am not a I, I I'm not a preachy person. I mean, I don't I don't I tend not to preach. But uh, you know, again, I go back to the Holocaust Memorial Yad Vashem, and schools and colleges in Israel keep on sending batches of. young children to the memorial so that they see they imbibe and they learn and what is the what is the simple message of yad vashem it's never again so these two words never again is what we need to inculcate among our young indians and that again i come back to the partition horrors remembrance day that is why it is important and hopefully next year it will get further formalized and we should reach out to india's young and tell them that this is what happened and we are telling you all this to pass on our stories to you this is our legacy and you are the inheritors of that legacy remember these stories think about these stories internalize this story these stories because we also believe in those two words never again and if there is a simple message of the prime minister's announcement of august 14 as partition horrors remembrance day it's these two words never again so that we never again go down this path i hope that answers your question it does dada it does and you know uh, i'm very grateful to you today to come here and share share your views and share the stories because i'll narrate one i obviously in my own family we have uh, stories of partition but uh, in my case you know most of my family even before the partition had come to amritsar although my nani was from lahore but obviously after her, her marriage to my nana she had moved from lahore to uh, to amritsar uh, a, a while before that 
बट येस यू डिड शेयर स्टोरीज पार्टीशन यू नो लॉट ऑफ पीपल जैसे आपने कहा था यू नो दे वुड जस्ट थिंक अरे ये कुछ नहीं है फेज है वापस आ जाएंगे हम वापस अपने घरों में चल जाएंगे लाहौर चल जाएंगे या राहुल पिंडी चल जाएंगे या फरीदकोट चल जाएंगे एंड एंड दे वुड जस्ट यू नो डिग अप होल्स इन साइड देयर हाउसेज एंड दे वुड पुट द the money and uh, in some cases the women you know in women had jewelry and they would put there and everything was lost and i, I still remember you know, a very good sikh friend of mine and he had narrated the story that he was like ek raat pehle you know unke ghar mein log aate hain and obviously he narrated the story in punjabi so he was like we were basically told that tomorrow a gang of people is going to come here and a gang of muslim Uh, people are going to come and kill you and they got the shock of the rest like but we were living with these people it's like it is what it is and overnight they ran away they lost everything they had over there and they came and you know the way you have narrated these these stories are a reality and sometimes when i listen to the intelligentsia and the elites in india certain section of the elites in india to say oh what do we gain by remembering the past i was like wait what and uh, uh, not a single day goes away when they don't remind us of the 2002 riots and they are not even consistent in their own particular uh, ideologies and uh, argumentation so dada once again you know, thanks a lot for coming today on the podcast and and telling us what it actually feels to you know sometimes feel like a stranger in your own land so once again dada thank you very much all right guys time to wrap today's discussion up uh, once again like dada said never again always remember that and do not forget what happened in the partition and make sure that we never go through this process again it's a horrifying process so many lives are lost so many families are destroyed and shattered and the trauma does not go you might say it goes it actually doesn't go we just push it in the corner sometimes and maybe deal with it so i'll wrap today's discussion on that note and i hope a lot of you young kids who watch this discussion or maybe are going to listen to it in the audio version later on learn from this talk to your friends about partition talk to them and deal with it and deal with this reality and maybe make sure when it never happens again i'll see you guys next time until then namaste take care goodbye